Coming to you live from the Business Radio X studio in Woodstock, Georgia. This is Fearless Formula with Sharon Klein. Well, how about that? That was a brand new intro, which I hadn't heard before other than I did it myself in my closet. (laughs) But still, it sounds really nice here in the studio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Fearless Formula on Cherokee Radio X, where we talk about the ups and downs of the business world and offer words of wisdom for business success for lots of people. I'm your host, Sharon Klein, and our guests in the studio today both have 20 years professional experience in the staffing industry. Zahara, which I call you Z, is currently VP over the commercial staffing division of a premier Atlanta staffing and recruiting company, and Chuck Fala, her husband. (laughs) (laughs) has been a servant leader in the staffing industry also for over 20 years and has been fortunate to oversee placing nearly 150,000, which is so huge, people in some of the largest companies in the world. Welcome, Chuck and Z, to the show. Thanks, Sharon. Thank you, Sharon. Glad to be here. Listen, that's a huge number. It's a lot. It's a lot lot of people. (laughs) 150,000 yeah, I've been very fortunate to work with some of the best teams, I think, in the staffing world. Um, so obviously, uh, directly, I, I placed several of those folks. But then I also have overseen teams of people that specifically work. Um, and they've been in industries from the banking industry, where I started my career at, to all the way uh, commercial, light, industrial, staffing, logistics, supply chains, 3PLs, things like that. So when you were in the banking industry, that's before you started doing staffing? Gosh, um, that was actually my very first job in staffing was banking. Uh, I started out as a, a newbie. Uh, everybody, you, you kind of fall into staffing. It's not something that a lot of people go out and seek. You just find, wake up one day, oh, I'm a recruiter, right? That's <laughs> what, what, what I do for a living. Um, but I, I remember I started with a gentleman out of Greer, South Carolina. And uh, my first day, he said, uh, you need to make a placement in 90 days or I'm going to have to fire you. And you're going to wear banking. And I remember thinking to myself at that time, I can barely balance my checkbook <laughs> and I'm going to work banking, but, but you know, you just, you, you, you sales of sales, you pick up the phone, start making the calls and, and you kind of make it happen. So I, I figured banking out for a while, but it was quite an adventure uh, getting into this industry. Are the things that you learned in banking, are those the things that still help you today in your staff? Some of them, uh, you know, one of the things that's interesting is you learn, you learn a lot of things you want to do, but you also learn a lot of things you want to avoid. And, and that, unfortunately in the banking world, I, I learned a lot of that. Um, just <laughs> to avoid. Yeah. Well, just, you know, ways to avoid how you go about doing your business and, and certain types of things that people tell you like, Hey, you should do things this way. And then you kind of do observation, realize it's probably not the best way to do things. So you have yeah. to find your own groove. Yeah. Too, and, right? and it's funny. Um, if we get to it, I, I can give you a specific example of that, but, it, but yeah, for I sure. Like specific examples. <laughs> um, I, this is a very, very basic story, but I remember, uh, I was starting out and I was sitting next to this guy and he was, you know, at this time I'm a young guy. I mean, I'm uh, in my early twenties and you know, he's in his fifties and we're doing the same job and, and he's, he's given me a lot of advice about how I should go about doing this job. And actually this is probably one of my biggest pieces of advice that I give people is who you take counsel from really matters. Um, in any case, he, he was like, you know, you don't need to do this. You don't need to do that, blah, blah, blah. And then for whatever reason, I, I started paying attention to how well he was doing, you know, in professionally and personally, and, and he wasn't doing that well. Right. So, oh, so, no. so I learned, uh, pay attention to who's giving you advice and actually where they're at. Can they get you to the place 
are they somewhere you want to be? And if they're not, you probably should, you know, a little bit of a suspicious eye to the, the advice they're giving you. So you're speaking to this gentleman and you can see, you could almost see your path being the exact same if you followed his exact same yeah, advice, was, like in his fifties in the was, same job. Exactly. He's middle of the road in the KPIs. He's middle of the road in production. What and, is KPI? I'm so sorry. Um, key performance indicators. Oh. Basically it, it means, you know, what are the, some of the indicators within your industry that determine whether or not you're doing a good job, at least for the folks in the and the, the towers, ups, yeah. yeah, the, the ones that are, metrics. ones that are like, the, the metrics. metrics. Okay, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. in the business world in such a small way that I don't have any KPIs. So, no, thanks for explaining to me. I should yeah. probably throw that term around a little bit. Yeah. What are your KPIs? I don't know. <laughs> no, no, don't do that. <laughs> Dang. Okay. Well, and I think in this it'd be QM, wouldn't it? QM would be one of the the KPIs, like your reach, how many times people oh. hear your your voice, or like when you're talking to advertisers, you know, how many times do they hear I got the ads that are on your show? Oh. I have no idea what those are. I think it's a rule of three or something like that. All right. Well, you're clearly way smarter than me in the business world. That's why I'm interviewing you. This is so great that you're here. I'm going to learn so much. Stop. Z, where where were you before you got involved in staffing? I was in hospitality. Well, I worked for Marriott International. So it was a, I was a reservation agent and then moved on to being an on-the-job trainer and trained other reservation agents and then just fell into staffing. Like Chuck said, I answered an ad. I was... I was younger mm-hmm. and um, I needed a job. I just moved to a new city and I answered an ad for a bilingual receptionist and ended up being a recruiter and then worked my way up from there. I was with that company for 15 years and wow. it really was a great experience. And I learned, I did everything from the bottom up. So I grew, um, was promoted time after time and it was a, it was a fun job, but it's hard. It's a hard job in staffing and recruiting and, just dealing with people and dealing with people problems. I was going to say, so a certain personality type will succeed in this, in this industry. What would you say are some of the key personality types or characteristics that just really make it uh, a, a good fit? Um, I think that you just have to be obviously a people person. That's the first thing I was thinking. <laughs> you you're know? dealing 150,000 people, Chuck, you yeah. got to talk to some people and get yeah. along with them. Like, you know, exactly. Um, you have to be intuitive. Like you have to have understand people. You have to have that um, EQ, you know, the emotional mm-hmm. intelligence to be able to trust your gut when you're talking to someone and, and, you know, seeing if they're t- really telling the truth or not. Can you Which tell hard. generally speaking, can you generally speaking, I can nail it. With, with someone Interesting. when it's in the business world, when it's on my personal yeah. <laughs> world. Everyone's a friend. No, you know what? That's fascinating though. Let's just talk about that for a minute because right, all business is people. And I talk about that on the show a lot. Business obviously is relationships with people. Mm-hmm. And so being able to um, identify someone's strengths that maybe they can't see or their weaknesses that they don't even know about yeah. is key, I think, in being able to see, okay, well, where, where will they fit the best? Or, you know, are they a, a people person or are they more an introvert? And exactly. so are there things that you kind of analyze somewhat quickly as you're chit-chatting with someone, mm-hmm. chit-chatting, interviewing someone? Yeah. I actually don't conduct a typical interview when I'm interviewing someone for a job. It's more of a conversation. I'm asking them about their, you know, their life. Like what, why did you pick these jobs? Why did you leave these jobs? Um, what interests you? What do you like to do on your time, on your spare time? You know, things like that so that I can get a, an overall feel in that 30 minutes to an hour about that person. And um, it really is very conversational. 
Um, so, which probably lets their guard down. It you does. know, it's not an interview of you know what have you where how can you explain this three month gap in your I don't know what do you think Chuck? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that's a, a very good point. Um, <clears throat> personally, I I like to look for dynamic personalities who are willing to put the work in. Right. I don't necessarily need them to know a ton about the professional world or even staffing. I just need people that are willing to put the work in. I can teach them this business. And then I like to, to find something that has a little bit of an edge. I, I know this is uh, probably not whatever, but no, I like to look for, for athletes um, personally, um, athletes and people in the military world, because what we do requires a certain level of grind. Um, you have to be able to grind it out. And I like people who ha- who are not losing for the first time as an adult people who have played some sports, people that understand what it takes that, hey, when I get knocked down, I got to get right back up and get back on that. Be that, disciplined as yes, well, Yes, right? because Absolutely. you will lose 95% of the time in almost all of your endeavors when it comes to sales or, or what we're doing. It's that, 95%? I, I would say it's it's pretty pretty high up there. I mean, over especially when you're first starting and you're not very good at it, you are going to get told no almost every time you, you make an attempt. And you have to be... Um, resilient you have to be able to to get back up after that and accept that and say that's really you know heck i mean sometimes people aren't so nice to you mm. right but it's not personal it's just you is know that what you tell people who, i tell people all the time you absolutely. know it's it has nothing to do with nothing you. to do with it's you it's just their situation their reality what, my, our recruiters interact with clients quite a bit and clients can be pretty fickle from day to day which you you were talking about uh we call it the roller coaster. And one of my advice, uh, one of the things that I tell my, my recruiters is don't ride it. You didn't wake up bad at your job today. You were good yesterday. You're good today. They're having a bad day. Don't own that. Now, if they give you something that's a legitimate concern, you need to address it, but they don't always say it in a nice way. And you don't need to internalize that and own it. You just need to go get back on that horse, start making those calls, start recruiting again and try to address the issue. Um, I think that's that's really important. So I'm looking for that grind, that grit, which is a mm-hmm. word that we like to use a lot. And and someone who's very well, same word, resilient, I guess, yeah. is what I'm going for. It's interesting. I'm I'm thinking of myself and how I would take rejection over. I mean, I take it with voiceovers all the time because yeah. you know the percentages. I mean, I think my statistically, I get one out of every thirty. Exactly. Interview. But that's a lot of auditions that are no's, and some I think I've nailed this so hard. I mm-hmm. know I have, and then I just I'm not even on the short list, and I'm like, don't understand it. Right. But it's interesting the psychological toll that can take on me sometimes if it's been a long. period period where nothing good happened. It's amazing to me that as much as I love the job Mm -hmm. and being able to do it, I'll just, it's like force to force myself to just say, it doesn't even matter. It's like looking at, looking at what I get out of, um, just even trying. And so I'm wondering if that translates to your your industry, even just trying. I feel that in staffing, um, especially like in the type of staffing that we do, we have teams, so we're always like pushing and motivating each other, which I think helps when you you're being, together. When you're together, right? Yeah. Being a single, like a sole kind of um, independent producer, right? Like in it's my hard. in my booth, it's hard. By myself, <laughs> yeah. No one's saying you can do it. Exactly, <laughs> it's hard. You have to get in your head. You have to like don't let those things affect you or try to get out of that mood when you get down. But. um I'm always trying to motivate the team and, and keeping them going because it is what it is. Mm-hmm. You're going to have ups and you're going to have downs, but you know that what you do matters. Like everything that we do, we're putting people to work. We're 
we're building the lifeline of a company. You know what I mean? So we're putting those people in that role and helping the company and solving problems. And I think that's what keeps me going, you know, 20 plus years is that I'm, I like puzzles and I like to solve problems and, and that's, but it's a good personality fit then Mm -hmm. for you. What would not be a good personality fit for staffing in your industry? Um, someone that just wants to be by themselves and kind of like, I don't know, like an accountant, right? An accountant just dealing with numbers, just dealing with a computer, not really dealing with interaction with people. You're just, you know, fixing the books. That's not necessarily the best personality type because you do have to interact. You have customers all over the place, internal customers, Mm -hmm. external customers, you know, coworkers, you have to deal with them and you have to be able to deal with confrontation. You have to be able to, the personalities, um, man, all you know, over work, the place. work out the issues and can't solve be, problems. I would say you can't be very timid. I mean, this, this industry, there are, there's a role for pretty much all types of personalities. I mean, prior to the, the show, we were talking about disc profiles and, and I think there's a role for, for everyone on that, on that spectrum. Um, but if you're going to be in a production role, if you're going to be a uh, client facing, uh, you're going to have to be someone who's not very timid because you're going to, you're going to have to get into some pretty difficult conversations. Uh, I was coaching a recruiter the other day and they were saying, this just feels so personal. What they said to me was so personal. It's like they attacked me personally. And, you know, I, I tend to cut through that with my recruiters and give them a coaching. And, and what I said to them, I was like, oh, so do you guys hang out on the weekend? <laughs> and they were like, well, no. And I was like, do y'all go to dinner at night? And they're like, no. And I was like, do they know the name of your kids? And they're like, no. And I said, then how can it be personal? This isn't personal. This is business. They had a, they had a bad day. Don't internalize that. You go back to doing your job and try to provide them with the best possible candidate you can for their role. And they will get over this really quick. I promise you. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you think you've made along the way that you've learned the most from? Wow. I would go back to saying what I said earlier. Um, A lot of the biggest lessons that I teach people come from my mistakes, which is who I take counsel from. There's been a few times in my career where I've listened to someone that I shouldn't have, didn't trust my own gut on it. Did you feel it that you maybe were making a mistake? A hundred percent. And and that is another thing that I I would say that I do a lot more these days. If I have a, a gut feeling on something, I really pay attention to it. But I will say that my gut is informed by 20 plus years of doing this. Um, but I would say who I've taken counsel from, uh, being stubborn from time to time, being enamored with my own ideas from mm-hmm. time to time has, has caused me. You even just admit it though. <laughs> like so many people are like, nah, I mean, oh. <laughs> now you can't grow if you're not honest with who you are. I, I just don't see how you can because Amen, sir. I love yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I would say that similar to what you're, you're talking about and just, Riding that wave, you know, um, we've been doing this since, I, I've been doing this since 2021. So, or sorry, 2001. Whoa. A long time, huh? <laughs> I was thinking like, it had a one in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can't be 2001. So right after 9-11 is when I started. And, um, but riding the wave, right? Riding the highs and riding the lows will get you nowhere mm. because, you have to have that even kill personality. You, have, you can celebrate, celebrate your wins, celebrate for five minutes and then, all right, on to the next thing. Or in a producing role, if you're selling, don't just sit on that one account that you're making big bank on, right? Because anything can happen 
where that account can go under. They, they can choose another provider and they, you know, you lose all that business and you don't have anything working in the background. You don't have anything, you know, to, that high, to replace right? it. That high is just as painful yes. like, as a low. Exactly. That's what you're holding on to. Well, what, where do you find inspiration that kind of keeps you going and steady? Because when I get hired for a voiceover job I like want to shout it to them like of course I love this but like the 30 other auditions I did I'm like man I'm just saying like how do you where what do you tell yourself in those moments where it's even if you have a a win or a loss what kind of keeps you steady where do you find the inspiration for that well you have the win right but you have to keep it going because our business is not just transactional it's very um it's uh consultative and we it's you have to keep the customer happy. You have to manage the account. You have to manage the employees that are at the account. So our work's not done when we, when we make that win, when we make that sell, it's not, it's not over. Like you still have to prove yourself time after time, however long the contract is. And you want to keep them coming back to you for repetitive business. You want to keep that customer. You want partnerships. You don't want just a customer. You want a relationship with them. Yeah. One thing I would add on that too is um, a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that what we do is a commodity industry, that because we're providing people, it's a commodity, like what we're, we're providing a product, but it's not, it's a service industry. It's the service of finding that person that people need to really realize that's what staffing is. Um, inspiration for me personally, uh, growing up, uh, kind of how I grew up, I had some, uh, some experiences in life that I never really wanted to experience again. So, um, being hungry from time to time can be a huge motivating factor for you. So uh, early on in my career, it was I want to be able to eat. So <laughs> I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make another 20 cold calls today in order to try to get this account. But as I've uh, gotten past that and I've gotten way more confident in my career that I could probably do this anywhere I go, um, it's about my teams. Um, I get super excited about watching other people come up, watching people that are just starting out in the industry and helping guide them through Uh, Some of the challenges, some of the pitfalls, like I had a conversation with one of my top BDMs the other day about the dangers of success, like he about how not give me being enamored again with your own ideas and your own way of doing things and how to avoid those pitfalls. And I I like that I've had enough experience now that I can kind of watch someone's trajectory or watch what's going on and be able to spot an area where they may have a pitfall. And if they're open and and willing to take that feedback, I, I love doing that. Um, the second part professionally is strategy. There's, there's just something about seeing a problem within a company or within a person and being able to figure out where do I, like you said earlier, like a puzzle, where do I, where do I put that puzzle piece in order to make this picture so that I can see the whole thing. That is something that I love so much and watching it work after you put a program in place, there's, 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 it's exhilarating, you know, especially whenever, you know, you've worked for a week on these different ways. And I know it seems very simple and straightforward, but it's not. There's so many moving parts in a recruiting plan alone, you know, that, that you need in order to find the right person and making sure it's attracting the right people. I mean, I love that stuff. So that, that gets me excited. If you're just joining us, we are interviewing Chuck and Z Fala, and they are, have both of them have 20 plus years in the staffing industry. But what I really like that you just said is that it's some, something that could take someone down. In other words, being mm-hmm. hungry, you yeah. know, or, or even being a victim to their own ego. Yeah. You know, those are things that some people don't rise above. So what do you think it is about you that you, you do? Because seriously, some people just, 
fall uh, and they, don't get back up. They don't have resilience. I've been humbled a lot in, in my life by the things around me and watching people as they've succeeded and, and failures and successes and feeling like even, even sometimes whenever you first start out and you win, you're like, did I deserve that? Right. And <laughs> how cute is that? Wait, really? I always think that when I get hired for yeah. like, I'm like, wait, are you, are you serious? <laughs> I, I'm, right? I think for me, I'm just very introspective and I want to be as honest as I can um, with myself and people around me. Um, first of all, I always joke around about how, you know, I'm, I'm not smart enough to remember when I'm being dishonest, so I never want to do it. <laughs> but I think, I think I just have to be very, very honest about who I am and, and personally, I think I will give you, I'll tell you real quick. I was, um, early on in my career, I felt like I had to have all the answers. Like I had to know the answer. If I was in a prepared, you mean, no, not Not prepared. Prepared is different. Prepared means that I've done my research and that I have the data in front of me to back up my ideas or to talk about their business. I'm talking about when they, when, when they're asking me about a strategy or their overall business, I felt like I had to have an answer, right. For, for how we're going to fix this problem for you. Right. But I don't, I just have to be willing to discover the answer. And so what happened a lot is I would go in and I'd start talking and say, this is how we're going to do things. And then I had this experience where I messed up really bad for a client and and we all do it. It happens where I didn't put the right program in place. And for whatever reason that day, it was incumbent upon me to go in and sit down across from this person. I was scared. I was very young in my career and I'd I mean, it cost them some money What I, you know, I'd made the wrong call on a hire and they had to pay a fee and it was, it's a big deal. But I walked in and to this day, I'll never forget her name is Mary. And I, I was talking to her and I said, I, I made a mistake and let me tell you exactly what happened. And she looked at me and said, it's okay. The, the fact that you came in here and you sat down and had that conversation with me puts you above everyone I've ever worked with as far as this industry goes, because most people won't do that. That's they'll right. come in here and they'll sit down and they'll, they'll give me all these excuses for why they weren't successful. And that meeting is probably one of the most impactful meetings I've ever had because I walked out going, I can, I can just tell them when I mess up. <laughs> and I don't get fired and it's not like the worst thing ever. Yeah. yeah and they, they actually respected me uh, more for it. And, yeah. and honestly, I ended up getting more orders out of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that people without experience or people that just haven't had the pitfalls don't understand that they just have to come out and say when they make a mistake, right? Do you see Own people it. that, that tap dance around it? hundred yes. percent. Oh, yes. wow. All the time. And then, and then you can almost lose respect in some yeah. ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the same. I like when people are just like, no, I totally messed up. Yes. Totally yeah. messed up. So sorry. The flip is I'm also super honest with my clients when they've made mistakes, which sometimes that doesn't go over well, but I'm, it's just who I am. I have to be incredibly straightforward and honest with everyone that I work with. Um, I just think it's the way to do business. What is um, diversity and inclusion like in the staffing industry for you all? We work with very diverse workforces, um, not only internally, but externally as well. The part of the industry that I love that kind of keeps me going is the light industrial side, the commercial staffing. That's what I'm over. Um, The reason being it's manufacturing, it's distribution, it's putting people to work for things that we actually are purchasing and providing to everyone in the worldwide, right? From cell phones to refrigerators to TVs to everyday, everyday, everyday very needed things. To hot wings. To bolts. To hot wings. To food. <laughs> yes. To, to, food. to everything. Wow. To cakes, Publix cake, you know, Imagine things like that. Imagine if you're that. not 
doing that. Right. I mean, you know what it was like during the pandemic when all of those um, freight we were liners going. were in. No. It's still happening. We were now? still going. Our industry no. grew. Oh, your industry. Oh, our industry grew. Like we were very much nece- necessary. Um, we were the what do you call them? The, the essential. The essentials. Yeah. We were the essential um, companies that we needed to provide for, and getting these people out to work every day is kind of like a. Sh- it's like going into a show on Discovery Channel, um, how it's made, you know? <laughs> yeah, like it that's, is. I follow that's that what on I love. Twitter. I love, yeah. Yeah, no, I but like listen, if you don't have an appreciation for the backside of it, you really don't have an appreciation for what's right in front of you, you right. know, what it takes for something to come to you. It is one of my favorite things, too, about our industry is that I'll, I'll walk into these different environments, these different work environments, and, and see how they make things. I mean... Uh, one of my early clients was the uh, some of the folks that work at the BMW plant in Greer, South Carolina. And gosh, it's like they have transformers in there. It's like <laughs> these huge robots that just pick cars up and move them around. And I remember looking at like, should I even be in this? <laughs> this is, I shouldn't be here. I'm a little scared. But um, to, to address the question you, you asked about diversity and inclusion, I think that our industry has grown leaps and bounds since I've been in it. As far as that goes, um, the industry has worked actively to eradicate things like code words, uh, where they would use things like heavy lifter, light lifter or whatever to indicate different types of people, you know, for, for specific jobs. So we've worked really, really hard to eradicate that stuff. But, but I will say as, as much as we've grown, I think we have room for improvement and, and I will continue to, to push that in my companies for sure. But I think that's across the board for everyone and any company, it just Mm -hmm. seems like I'll hear a little term where I'm like, Oh man, uh, no way. Even 20, Five years ago, you're not allowed to say certain things that you, or you're not allowed now to say things that you could have said five years ago. There's just certain terms and ways to speak that I find, or even if I watch, you know, like a, like a sitcom or something. Mm -hmm. Do you ever see things where you're just like, what the heck did they just say? That would be allowed here (laughs) these days. So Z and I have a very specific example of that. Uh, I grew up watching movies like the bad news bears. I don't know if you remember that movie. Was it Gordon? Was it no uh, Lithau, Ma- Walter, Matthew. Walter Matthau, Walter Matthau? That's it exactly. Um, you know, and I, I watched that kid that movie as a kid and thought it was great, loved it. Right? We decided we were going to put it in one day for the kids and say, "Hey, you guys got to watch this movie we grew up on." And right away, you pick up on things as an adult that you didn't pick up on as a child that that he's an alcoholic. Right. That he's got a really, really bad drinking problem. And as a kid, I didn't even know any of that. I just thought he was, you know, kind of a jerk or whatever. Yeah. Loopy. (laughs) Right. And then and then on top of that, some of the language that they used was pretty offensive. And you're like, holy cow, I think I probably should turn this off. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding, kids. (laughs) Sorry. I didn't grow up on this. No. Do you think it's better now? Do you think that we are too um, soft? Yes. I would, I actually would say yes, absolutely yeah. we are. I think it's gone too far in the other direction. I was wondering. I, I, we have to be adults about things. We, we can't coddle the entire world and protect everybody from everything because that's not reality. Like I said earlier, when I'm looking to hire someone, I'm not looking for someone who's going to experience a loss for the first time as an adult because that's a, that's a hard thing. If mm. you've been, again, I know this is going to be controversial, but if you've been given trophies for showing up your whole life and then you show up to a cold call and they tell you 
something negative about your mother, you're not going to know how to take that, right? Because <laughs> <Negative about laughs> I mean, it happens. People will, will be pretty rude to you. So you're going to be extremely offensive. It's going to ruin your whole day. You're not going to be able to go make the next cold call. So yeah. no, I think we've, we've gone a little too far. I'd like to see that rubber band contract a little bit. But I think it does. Like the pendulum swings back and forth a little bit. Yeah. So would you say that the most satisfying part of your job is what you were talking about when you've, when you've worked a, um, a job so hard and for the client and, and you see someone in a position that they are just super happy and it's succeeding. Is that what's most satisfying to you? For me? Yes. But I've gotten to the point in my career where, you know, I've had my successes as far as like landing accounts personally, like being an individual contributor, the part about, my job that I love the most is just being there for my teams and helping them get to where they need to be, like helping them grow, helping them be successful salespeople or recruiters and seeing them win and coaching them through the the ad- adversities and the challenges that they're going to be facing with and just kind of being a sounding board for them. The, su- um, the support. The for support. Them. Mm-hmm. I love being a coach, a mentor. I love it when I give advice to one of my employees and they take it and it works for them and it clicks and then they don't have to like ask me that again. They know how to move through that. So you can see directly the impact that your uh, presence and, and advice and influence has on someone's life. Yes. That is very satisfying, I imagine. It is. What about you, Chuck? Yep. Yeah. I, we have a phrase what we do matters. Uh, I, I really, really believe that whether it's helping clients achieve their goals by finding them their number one resource, which is the human beings that go out and do the work, um, whether I, whether it's the seeing a program like that change the fortunes of a company or it's watching someone that I placed in a sanitation role seven years ago become a plant manager, stuff like that just gets me so excited because 100% when I chose to leave banking to go work in light industrial staffing, that was the reason I wanted to find people who weren't making $500,000 a year, who really genuinely needed my help to find work. And I looked for, I, I, I didn't really even know this industry existed. I didn't know that I knew temporary staffing existed, but I didn't really know what it was. Right. But I went looking for who's filling the jobs that are making at that time minimum wage, seven fifty, seven twenty five. Still minimum wage. Ten dollars an hour. Well, yeah. it is still minimum wage. Yeah. But I'm gonna, I, anytime I hear someone say that about, by the way, it's always fun when someone wants to argue with us about employment, right? Because it's what we do for a living. And you're like, well, they're still paying minimum wage. No one has paid minimum wage for any job for, God, what, 10 years? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've had anyone even close to a minimum wage job. They wouldn't, but that's huge for they, you. That's they wouldn't a huge, exist. Yeah. like feather in your cap to say. I, I think it's industry well, it's just general. Yeah. I think it's industry in general. Oh, okay. It's very rare. Like we, we we constantly coach our clients on what they need to be as far as pay rates. You know, one of the things that I was just talking to someone about the other day is how quickly, especially in today's economy, it's supercharged, slowing down a little bit, but it was supercharged as far as pay rates go. Yeah. Gwinnett County, the average was twelve twenty five. In 2018, 2019, somewhere in that area? 2020, probably? Maybe, even going into 2020, around that. And now it's 1750, somewhere oh, in that neighborhood. I did not know that. So mm-hmm. it's That's like, amazing. It, it, so, so what I, the line I use is if you set your pay rates six months ago, you're a dollar and a nickel behind yeah. the market. Yeah, because we have to increase them. That's where they're but at. But when I first started, 
2021. No, I'm kidding. 2001. <laughs> <laughs> it's we were, weird to go back that far is. in it your is. head, isn't it? It is. We were paying. Um, it's, you know, five fifty. I think 515 was the yeah. minimum wage. Wow. And we literally were paying people 515. Um, so it's come a, a long way. Um, but, you know, I the way I got started was it was after, right after 9-11. So... People were very patriotic, and I. It was a it was a flag company in the state in the city that I worked wow, in. So we had to put people to, you know, make those flags, and that was very very just kind of. It was just, it just made me feel good. I was like probably <laughs> felt like you had some momentum right there. Yes. You know, like you were mm-hmm. on a ride. Yes, you know, but that you can't contrive either. That's mm-hmm. almost like I said serendipity. It was, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. But um, as far as the wage wages go, we've you know we've had to be consultative to our clients and let them know that you know ten dollars an hour we've been paying ten dollars an hour for the last twenty years. You need to up your pay, especially now with inflation being at eight and whatever percent. Um, so they've had to come along, and there are still some companies that just can't because they can't raise their rates. So it's really scary to think like what these companies what will become of them if they can't raise their rates if they can't get good people to work because just the labor market's just not the same we've been under the replacement rate for what 50 years yes something like that as far as births for folks that are retiring and once the i think we again don't quote me this might be a little couple of months old but i think we had something like five million more jobs than we had people and as the boomers continue to retire that's gonna that gap's gonna increase and it's it's incredibly prevalent in skills and trades mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons why i'm starting to see that trickle of shop classes and skill yeah, like my son coming back going into to school to yes. be a, a mechanic i had yeah. shop class i mean we made paddles for the because that because corporal punishment was allowed back then <laughs> <laughs> oh my god they, you made the paddles oh, they yeah. used to spank oh, yeah. you with holy oh, cow yeah. oh yeah we That's for sure so did <laughs> we sure did That's so I, and i remember there was one guy next to me putting holes in it so it gets more air and he's oh, like what my. are you doing man <laughs> He's like, this is the one I have at home. You need to make that out of some really thin material so it breaks upon impact. I don't, he's over here trying to make it worse. It's like, you must be a good guy. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but but if, yeah. If um, you hear people say that people don't want to work, does that just drive you nuts? Because it, it, you know, you people say it all not. the time. It's true and it's not. Oh. Let's it, hear it. It's true and it's not. What do, you, what do you mean it's true and it's not? Well, with with technology... And all of this social media that everybody's the next, you know, Kim Kardashian or the next influencer. That's really a lot of younger people have really been attracted to that. And so they go like I was talking to someone the other day, actually, and she said her daughter wants to be an influencer. Like, that's what she wants to be when she grows up. And it's like I never as a job. And I've like I've never even heard that before. So I think that that's um really exacerbated the fact that people aren't really looking younger people, younger people looking for careers, but that's who's coming into the workforce. Mm -hmm. Sharon, like we have people that are leaving the workforce, you know, through retirement, baby boomers. We didn't have, like Chuck said, the birth rate has been low for the last 50 years. There's a data set that says like in 2025, we'll only have 200 countrywide, 200,000 people entering the workforce countrywide. When you have 5 million jobs to 100%. fill? Yeah. So it's like now. that doesn't equate, right? So it's just, it's hard to see that. But also the fact that, you know, automation's definitely going to be taking a lot of the 
the lower end jobs, the entry level jobs that we've been placing people in in a while. And I think over the the next maybe 10 to 15 years, we'll see a lot of those jobs kind of go away. But and those and the people that were in those roles probably move up and, and do something else. But it's just I feel that they they don't put out there that there are that many jobs available. They don't they just in the news and the media, they just talk about like how there's no work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, you have, I've seen over the last couple of years, a uh, uh, influx of folks who come in and they do a good job for 30 to 60 days. And then they come in your office and they're like, Hey, I've been here for 60 days. Now it's time for a raise and a promotion. Right. <laughs> and, and you're like, well, can you imagine? Well, no, it's 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 common. Wow, and, and it's a it's a real question. And if you don't address it, they will quit because they will go find somewhere else. Their that expectation will, is that their, their expectation is that. So you do have that challenge with some folks, right? But then you also have customers or clients or employers who expect way too much of the employee. So, in my opinion, overall, the workforce has changed. Right now, you have a lot of folks who are resistant to the change in the culture. They haven't caught up to the workforce yet. They, they're going to have to figure out, we're going to have to figure out a way to make the environment something that people will come and stick to. Even when I was growing up, the 50 years in a gold watch was out the door, mm-hmm. right? It's even worse now. You're, you, we, we're, it was a year and a half. We get a year and a half out of someone. We're like, mm, that's pretty good, yeah. right? But But we need to get that back to where I think that's, not just it is a problem with the folks and how they're coming up, but it's also a problem with how we're reacting to it. Mm-hmm. We have to figure out a way to make these environments more conducive to their life. We grew up saying, I have to figure out a way to organize my life and my fun time and the around things that I want to do around my job. They're saying, I have to figure out a way to organize this job around my life and my happiness and my fun time. It's a completely different shift. It is. Um, I noticed just like in general, you just can't, you have to have a happy medium. We can't cater to the people that have gotten participation trophies their whole life and they think that they can get a raise in a week. And we have to have realistic expectations when it comes to that. Um, One of the hardest parts about our job is the fact that you don't just learn everything that you need to learn in 30, 60, 90 days there. It takes years of experience because you have to experience the highs. You have to experience the lows. So when someone comes in to the organization and they see my job and they want my job, it's like, okay, yeah, you can have my job. I want you to have my job because I would, I want to be elevated as well. However, you have to be able to understand what, is going to come at you from the people that are reporting to you. You and have to you understand only do that have, through having experience. been there. Exactly. How long would you say? Like, um, I would say a good five to six years yeah. is a good like base of experience for our, our industry and to understand people and understand the, the ins and outs and all the moving pieces that it, it comes with because you're dealing with different levels of people. You're not dealing with just entry level. You're dealing with managers. You're dealing with CEOs. You're dealing with, business problems and you don't learn that coming out of college you don't learn that you know you have to have real life experience or even, doing that. even how to relate to to the different people that like mm-hmm. you relate to a ceo completely different than you do someone that's underneath there's exactly. a there's a skill set of being able to put yourself in someone's operating reality to be able to have that conversation and i do think you're not good at that when you first start you have to have 
I would say five to six years as well to be able to start really, truly understand what are the motivations of the folks that I'm talking to on a daily basis. As, as you go up the chain, your job becomes more about managing the resources that are available to you and delegating them into the market, right? But each one of them is going to have a different motivation, a different operating reality, and you have to be able to put yourself into those that's shoes. A, that's a skill. Do you feel like people are born with that or is that something you can teach? I think it's something you can teach. Okay. I do. Um, because it's 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 self evaluation and and said okay these are my motivations based on my role now if I wasn't in this role and I'm looking at what this person's role is what are their primary functions right so their goals and their ideas are going to be set up around those primary functions and if you can just take a step back and completely drop what you're looking for in that conversation and say okay how do I give them what they're looking for and also be able to um, get what I need out of this as mm-hmm. well. That that's a that's a real skill set. And it's the art of negotiation and mm-hmm. are those some of the books that you that you read? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um actually uh, one of my favorite books are the um um shoot, I just uh the uh five dysfunctions of a team. Five dysfunctions of a it's team. That's a favorite, great it's a great title. It's one of my favorite ones. It talks about radical candor and trust and how important it is. Those things are really important. Radical candor is actually another book by uh, Kim Scott, I think her last name is. I might, I might have messed that up, but Radical Candor is another good book as well. Another good book is Grit by yes. Angela Duckworth. If you haven't read that, I haven't. Yeah, read it. She also has a um, TED Talk that she does. A, you know, it was like I think it was before the book that she wrote the book. She did right, the TED that Talk came out. Yeah, and it was awesome. Um, she's just an American Chinese American, and. Um, it was crazy. She opens the book with how her father said that, you know, she's not the smartest person, you know, and she had to like fight against that, that view from her father. And then she goes and she interviews people at West Point to see how they get through. You wow, know, that was really and, like, smart. Who really smart. Who are the people that, you know, get through that program and make it out and why? But and, I have a question for you about this. So if someone is feeling that they're not the smartest person in the room, you know, or that they have, or they're well aware of their um, weaknesses. How, where does enough come in? Because I don't think I'm the most talented voice over artist, but phenomenal. Of course, of course I am. I'm sorry. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> this is live radio. I wish I could go back. I'm the most, but I just mean I'm good enough, you know? So where does that come in? Do you ever kind of give people, um, the notion that they don't have to be perfect. I mean, how do you oh. work around that? Because I have a horrible perfection complex that can uh, be uh, paralyzing. Yeah. You know? Um, I think the most, I think just like one of the things that I tell people is like the most predictable thing about people is that they're unpredictable. So you cannot try to control what you cannot control. I can't control you coming into work or not coming into work when you said you were going to come into work. So just do whatever you can that is within your control. Did you make that call to make sure that they were going to show up to work? Did you call the customer to make sure that they knew that they were going to show up to work? And then did you make that call to see or were you there to see if that person showed up to work? Like, did you do everything within your control? And if you did, then... Then that's enough. Then that's enough, right? It's just like I said earlier, you didn't wake up bad at your job today. Um, one of the things that, that I, I do with a lot of my team is I give them the room to fail forward. Um, I think that uh, having a, because you hear people say a lot of failure is not an option, 
Yes, it is. It's it's an option. And <laughs> it's a reality. It's an option in everything <laughs> that you do, right? And and getting used to that and working from it and failing forward, being able to to take this experience, be honest with yourself about evaluate it where you could have done better, and then learning something from it. Gosh, that's success to me, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's the thing that is hard is changing that mindset. If you if you didn't succeed, there's probably going to be a, some something that you can grow from that. And as long as you do that, that's not failure to me, right? That's succeeding in something. As I said earlier, I look back and when I'm talking to BDMs or business development managers or Thank recruiters or, or, or anyone, it's usually, Hey, I've been down this path. It didn't work out very well for me. Let me tell you how to avoid that. That that's a failure that I've had in my past that has led to a success today. So I never really see it through that that lens. If you didn't get the voiceover job today, why not? You know, ask for that feedback first of all. What would you have liked to have seen different in this? And then really take that in. Don't don't. Some people get so personal about well, they don't understand. You know this. No, don't do that. It's funny, the, I heard. I heard the ad that I didn't get that I thought I was going to get because I thought I did such a great job, and I was on a short list for. And I heard it. Um, like I think it was last night, and mm-hmm. so and I recognized the script. I had rehearsed it many times, and so I was just listening and like, how different was I? You know, and what was it that they were looking for? But it's fascinating too how subjective it is. Someone it is. might have heard something that I said and thought it was amazing. Well, let's just assume somebody, everyone does. But I'm just saying, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. it just depends on what someone's looking for. But I do love the idea of being able to compare because you only know what you know mm-hmm. in your own head. So to be able to look at my own self objectively and mm-hmm. say, okay, well I could have totally slowed it down or mm-hmm. I could have not put as much emotion in this. Cause it clearly looks like they wanted someone to be more deadpan, mm-hmm. you know, self-awareness is so important in almost everything you do and everyone has it. They just won't acknowledge it. That that's the thing that I've always found is you typically know who you are, but you put up a lot of walls in front of that to protect yourself from acknowledging that you were actually <laughs> it's responsible. It's so shaming, but that's, but that's, but that's where, that's where the, the gold is. In my opinion, when you, when I, when I feel bad about an effort I've put out, usually it's not because I failed. It's because I know I didn't do my best. Yeah. Right. That's what upsets me is not that I didn't get it. It's because ah, I could have done a better job on that. And now I need to make sure this doesn't happen to me again. Right. It's kind of how I see it. I think a lot of what we do is telling stories and telling stories about and case studies and telling stories to our employees, but also telling stories to our customers about like, this is why we think we would be successful with your business is because we've done this before. Let me show you how I can do it after, after discovering what their needs are, right? After making that discovery, not just doing that, that uh, diagnosis before, you know, but I love that because you really are. Your wisdom is saving people pain. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Or struggle, which is kind of what the show is about. You know, it's kind of helping people to understand how you manage your ups and downs so that they can take that wisdom for themselves and maybe learn something to prevent pain for themselves. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. But I do want to talk about a really fun part of your business life. Okay. <laughs> completely separate from oh, your business okay. business life. Okay. <laughs> but you are content creators that are very, very successful. And that has a whole that's a whole other business, which I I, I think about this a lot about how it's twenty four seven. It's not clocking in and clocking out and you're done mm-hmm. with your job and you get to have your drink at night and watch TV. But this is 
constantly um, needing updates and constantly being addressed, almost like a public relations person, which yeah. is what I wanted to get involved in at one point. I thought I would be great at public relations until I went to a firm and followed someone around and was like, wait, four in the morning, someone over in Europe has said something about your company and you're awake mm-hmm. dealing with it. And I love sleep. So, <laughs> but I was just going to say like this, this is the, that is a business. It's a different business. Can you explain a little bit what it's like? And how many followers do you have? I personally have um, forty four thousand followers on Instagram. It's it's insane. I've, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot more that have a lot more followers. But just being, not even really wanting to get into it, it wasn't something that I intentionally done. It was just something that naturally grew. It grew organically. Grew, and I love it. It's it's a passion of mine. Um, so what we're speaking about is uh, Chuck introduced me to motorcycles six years ago. And, <laughs> and we I, ride together. Yes, That's and how, Sharon rides yeah. with us. Um, and it was, it was just something that was naturally, I just took too naturally and I just can't let go. I don't know. <laughs> She's addicted. I'm addicted. But, but it gets that way, I would say. And it's something that it's like one of the fun things that I get to experience when I'm with you all is when we talk about what it's like to feel the wind and what it's like to feel the road and, mm-hmm. and accomplish a ride that's more challenging than some other rides. You know, there's a joy that is difficult to, um, to explain to someone who hasn't experienced it. So I appreciate being able to share that with you all. Yeah. I, I, there's definitely a business aspect to it. Um, we've been able to parlay. Is that a, is that a, is that a, is that a talk? Or <laughs> no, par- par- parlay. I think that is like where, yeah, yeah. Oh, the way thinking, you're using it. I'm thinking of palaver. That's oh. a conversation. Parlay. We've been able to parlay that into uh, being able to, to earn some money from it, uh, get some sponsorships and, and a few other things. But so there's the business side of it, having that business acumen or where we can go to a dealership and say, if you were to work with us on this project where we're going to exchange uh, labor and service and parts for tagging you and talking about you and about there's, there's being able to show them how they get a return on that is something that I think that we have a leg up. But what you said earlier is what I think it's ultimately about is when you're on Instagram, you're looking for a feeling of what this is like, what this person's life is like, what they're doing. And I think that's what it is. It's creating a feeling for people. You know, that saying that people will never forget how you act or whatever. They always remember how you make them feel. Maya Angelou. Yeah. How you make them feel. That's a good one. Yeah. I forgot that was Maya Angelou. <laughs> it's a good um, one. But I, I think that creating that feeling that social media feeling was very natural for us because I find that the people I follow are the people that when I'm watching them do something, they genuinely seem to be enjoying what they're doing. You can feel that. Right. From and them. They're, they're not out there actively just trying to get people to follow them. As a matter of fact, when I get that feeling from someone, I typically don't follow. <laughs> I, I typically don't. If, if I feel like all you're doing is trying to put, you know, a quote unquote thirst trap out there to get people to follow you. I'm not interested in that. I want to see you doing something that you love. And, and I get inspired by that. I get inspired by the guy that makes knives out of meteors. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that guy's so cool and he's so good at what he does. Or I watch someone who's building a bike from scratch and they just get so excited and they, like the voice is trembling when they're talking about what they're doing on the bike. That stuff excites me. That's the stuff that I want to be a part of. It makes you want to get involved in that. And I think that our job is to provide that. That's, I guess, even though for us, it was just kind of like we were doing it and then people were kind of responded to it. So we just keep doing what we love and we just do more of it now. <laughs> what I, what I get out of it is 
helping other people just find what they want in their bikes if or even get on a bike, right? Mm-hmm. I have a lot of females that cuz I started the help start the Lita's Atlanta, which is our motorcycle collective that you and I are both a part of and you know, watching and seeing other women just get on the bike and ride together and having those conversations about like I'm a petite little lady and I'm riding this big bike, you know, <laughs> stuff like that yeah. is really fun. But then having people reach out to me and say, Hey, I'm only five, four. And I'm like, I'm only five, two. So you can do it too. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you know, it takes sometimes it takes someone who's got that experience to be able to say, you know, am I a good fit? And because yeah. you have that it's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Like think about the people that you influence to open up a whole other part of the world but it takes that they get to engage in. Experience though, right? Yeah. So I don't I know for a fact that in twenty sixteen when I first started writing, I had no advice to give anyone. <laughs> you yeah. know, like yeah. I'm writing, I'm just starting out. I need to learn if I'm even good at this. Mm. Which I'd wrote a lot, so I, I became good. But I was very I didn't have the confidence that I have now. And it's, it's very parallel to what I do in in my job. And I feel that those two, that my two worlds collide with the coaching and the counseling and the motivating and, you know, making people like excited to do ride or do, do their job. It has been as, as her husband, it has been so much fun watching her grow in confidence and then watch the, the zeitgeist around her grow with her within, within the motorcycle community. I mean, the fastest growing demographic in motorcycles is female riders. And it has been, for me, it's been so cool. Just like, cause when we first started most, I mean, some, there were a few, but most of them weren't riding like really big bikes and performance bikes and really getting there. We're doing after. long rides. We're doing huge long yeah. rides and watching her kind of grow into herself and gain that confidence as a rider. And then that infectious nature. And that, that's really what resonated with people. I think about you is like, even though you didn't have a lot of advice to give the look on your face when you're on a motorcycle is just like, Oh my God, she looks like she's having so much fun. I want to go do it as well. So that's been fun. And then I've watched as other riders or even, not even just females, there've been male riders that have reached out and be like, Hey, what do you think about this bike? And yeah. I'm watching you be able to actually give them that advice. And um, it, it's been something that's been a, a lot of fun to be a part of. Yeah. I think it's important though. I love that. And not to be misogynistic, but the, the the fact that you are opening people's eyes to um, let go of the notion that there's this really gruff, leathered <laughs> male group, you know, with cigarette mm-hmm. in their mouth. I just picture <laughs> the people that they assume what writers are like. Yeah. But like what I love is that if someone were to meet you on the street, they wouldn't ever consider you the typical writer. But I think that's what makes to me, you so important because you are allowing, you're opening the doors for anyone. You don't have to look or have an attitude of um, rebellion, I guess. You know, a lot of people consider motorcycle riding kind of pretty rebellious, I guess. Sure. But it's, it's joy. It's, Mm -hmm. it's something that is such a lighter energy than um, I think typically has been focused on. Yeah. Look at you. You don't, you're not your typical, (laughs) you know, motorcycle rider. All right. And me and my mom. Yeah. Biker gang girl. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of it too, that people miss is a lot of the motorcycle community grew out of the military. And I, I think that people don't realize that when people were on those motorcycles, they really couldn't explain it or maybe they didn't have the vernacular or the understanding of it back then, but it's therapy too. 
I mean, a lot of soldiers have relayed the thought that this helps me with my PTSD. This experience of being on this motorcycle helps me with that. And it definitely is one of the reasons why I ride. Now, I'm not from the military world, but there are things that that obviously you you kind of can work out when you're on a motorcycle. Well, I think one of the mm-hmm. reasons why it helps me is that I cannot be thinking about a million other things when I'm riding. Exactly. I have to be very focused and it keeps me immediately present and that helps me slow down my brain mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I'm constantly circular thinking like analysis paralysis and like what what should I have done? I'm my own worst enemy. Yeah. But being completely present is just very important for me um, to almost remember who I really am and what I'm really doing, Mm -hmm. going around a corner and seeing a mountain and cows, you know, you're just in trees and trees and all of a Mm -hmm. sudden you go around and you smell everything is so like fresh and air and it's beautiful. And all of a sudden I'm part of the earth as opposed to just my brain telling me what I should have done different or Mm -hmm. uh, I, I guess I just find it to be, um, spiritual. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. It's a religion. <laughs> it's a religion. <laughs> the religion of Chuck and Z. It's a religious <laughs> feeling. Well, I wanted to ask you last question. Um, do you have um, some um, words of wisdom for people who would even want to become sort of a content creator? Like what are some of the things that you have found um, through experience that would be helpful to someone else? Yeah. I mean, go ahead. Find something you love doing and film it. <laughs> you told me to film myself mowing my yard because Listen, I'm on my tractor. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you, find something you love that you're passionate about, film it and put it out there. I'm telling you, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many people that we just appreciate the fact that you put it out. I mean, I, I, I that's, that's my biggest advice. That is absolutely true. I think that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of just, there are a lot of things out there as far as like algorithms and people mm. trying, you know, I see now it's so weird just scrolling through Instagram, which is my favorite social media app. Um, just scrolling through there and just seeing people do the same thing over and over again, like hundreds Different of people, people. same doing thing. the same, like makeup tutorials or, or well, no, like, like a, a, a seven second video with the same sound clip behind it. Oh, right? I got you. So as you're as you're scrolling through, it's like, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this, and you eventually you're like, oh god, this is mind numbing. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you know within the industry, let's just say motorcycles, not being authentic, not being genuine, not being your true self, because you feel that if you just do what you feel like you want to do, it won't get as many likes, or it just won't resonate with people. But not knowing that just that one like that you got you you've impacted someone right they're not just there they they watch the video they made a comment on it and they're excited for you so why not just live with that you give an advanced advice she's like she's like i'm going to the, the advanced stuff. <laughs> not, not, but not actually just, not just how you get into it but how you how the advanced i, I agree i agree it happens so quickly it, it does i agree with you and I, and I actually think i would commend you on one thing because this was difficult for both of us as we were going through this as we started to get a higher profile and people started reaching out to us like hey we want you to represent this we want you to represent that um, and, and I, I won't name a specific name brand, but, but there was one that reached out to us. That was a huge opportunity. It's a huge opportunity for, for Z to be in a national commercial, uh, that was going to air all over the place, but it was with a brand or a product that she had never used. It was something that she hadn't done. 
And so it was a conversation of, gosh, this is a great opportunity for me, but I have a feeling that the people that have depended on me for advice and influence in this specific direction are going to give me a, oh, can I trust her anymore? Because she completely just represented something that she does not actually use or utilize or ride. So I would say one of the, one, if you only follow the trends, you'll only be trendy, right? It's all you'll ever be. So you have to be true to who you are and be very consistent and don't let anyone degradate your message. Stay true to who you are. And if it picks up, great. If it doesn't, just keep doing it for yourself. That's that's the other thing that I would say. Stop worrying about doing it for everyone else. If it's not making you happy, don't don't do it. Mm-hmm. So so represent things that you use. Make sure that your word means something because otherwise, once you get past the glitz and glamour of what people see, you're not going to be valuable to them. I think it's excellent Very great advice. advice. Yeah, oh, is that good? Yeah. Oh, that's good? That's, that's mm. a great way to end the show. This is my mm. longest show ever, but you all Nailed had so it. many really wonderful things to say. So thank you. If I could hold the mic, I'd drop it. Which <laughs> <laughs> Don't drop this mic. <laughs> it's pretty heavy <laughs> mic. <laughs> well, Chuck Enzi, thank you so much for coming to the studio today. I have just so enjoyed chatting with you. I could chat more, but yes. I'm sure there's some people who want to live their lives out there. That are done, <laughs> done. But thank you so much, everyone out there for listening to Fearless Formula on Business Radio X. And this is Sharon Klein reminding you that with knowledge and understanding, we can all have a fearless formula. Have a great day. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs>